Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Mark Sanborn, author of Fred 2.0, new ideas on how to keep delivering extraordinary results. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Mark Sanborn, author of Fred 2.0, new ideas on how to keep delivering extraordinary results. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Mark Sanborn shares with us his insights on the actions anyone can take to achieve extraordinary results and to build and lead teams to do the same. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Mark Sanborn, author of Fred 2.0, New Ideas on How to Keep Delivering Extraordinary Results. Mark is the New York Times bestselling author of The Fred Factor, as well as seven other popular books. He is the president of Sanborn & Associates, an idea studio dedicated to developing leaders in business and in life. Mark is a noted authority and in-demand speaker on leadership, customer service, and extraordinary performance. Mark, welcome back to the Strategy Driven Podcast. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me back. I am thrilled to have you back on the show. I am honored to be a part of the launch for Fred 2.0. To start our interview, though, I was hoping you might be able to remind our audience of the four principles comprising the Fred Factor. You bet. Be glad to. You know, the Fred Factor came out in 2004. And Fred 2.0, which of course just released, builds on the book, but just in case your listeners are wondering, if they didn't read The Fred Factor, it isn't a prerequisite, but of course, if they did, that's great. And you could read the books in either order, there's no overlap, and I think uh, it'll be complementary either way. But for purposes of discussion, the foundation of this Fred Factor philosophy begins with principle number one, and that is that everyone makes a difference. And, and, you know, most people think they've heard that before, but the reality is most people have heard that they could make a difference, not that they do make a difference. And although that's subtle, uh, it's a significant difference between those two statements because if somebody says you can do something, then you have the choice of not doing it. And I think today there are a lot of people that believe that they can opt out, you know, they can just be neutral. But the problem is, is that when we meet somebody that won't engage us or that isn't actively trying to make a positive difference in our experience as a customer or a colleague, we don't think they're neutral. We think they're indifferent. And so I always remind people that at the end of the day, the only question is, 
what kind of difference did you make? Not did you make a difference, you probably did. You either enriched or took away from the uh, experience of another person. So the real question is what kind of difference did you make? Principle number one, everybody makes a difference. Principle number two is it's all built on relationship. And that's ironically one of the things that most adults are never taught. You know, we're not taught how to build healthy relationships uh, in our personal lives, much less in our professional lives. And so I talk about the, uh, the basics of relationship building in the world of work in, in that principle. The third principle is that you can add value to everything you do, and it doesn't have to cost a nickel. And by that, I mean the real contemporary challenge of business is to outthink your competition rather than to outspend them, you know, to replace money with imagination, to replace capital with creativity, and, and just be a little bit smarter at how you go about differentiating your products or services and how you go about creating your customer's experience. And then finally, number four, last but not least, is that you get to reinvent yourself every day if you choose. You wake up in the morning with a blank slate, doesn't matter how good or bad yesterday was, you get to try it again today. And I think the problem is that most people don't innovate, they replicate. They just do what they did the day before and the week before and the month before. And so before they know it, they're bored to death and they're boring everybody else in their life to death. And that fourth principle is about choosing to do something different, to make your life better and to, uh, to add value to what it is you do every day. And the folks that I see doing this, the Freds of the world, they really truly do make a difference and they lead extraordinary lives. I see them as being more fulfilled and happy also. Well, that, that is one of the great secrets, I think, and one of the best-kept secrets of, of turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. Even though rarely do I meet someone who practices these principles that does it for personal gain, you know, they're, they're not being strategic to get noticed or get, you know, recognized. I mean, they appreciate it when they're noticed and recognized. I mean, who of us wouldn't, right? But they don't do it for that reason. They do it because it's the right thing to do and it's, it's a better way to live. The good news is, is when they do, they benefit from it. And that's the secret that when you, when you live this way, one of the biggest beneficiaries isn't just the people around you that you, you serve or create a superior experience for. It's you because when you do it, you find out that life is much more interesting, much more exciting, and much more fulfilling, as you point out, when you practice these philosophies. And, and I talk about that in Fred 2.0, not to tell people you know, to, to do this as a give-to-get system, because it's certainly not that, but that they should be aware of the fact that you, know, you don't just you know, do good because you feel good. You feel good because you do good. That We control to a large degree that lever, what makes us feel good. And choosing to do these kinds of things is one of the best ways to do that. Mark, early on in Fred 2.0, you remind us that all too often the squeaky wheel gets the oil, that we just don't recognize the Freds in our workplace. Yeah, at an extreme, I imagine that some of the Freds are actually taken advantage of because of their very Fredness, because of that extraordinary performance that they exhibit on a day-to-day -day basis. What do you recommend that these Freds do when they find that the work is just piled on, rewards and recognition are lacking or non-existent, when their very Fredness is being used against them? 
Well, that's a sad situation, and I've certainly met some people over the years that have had that experience, and I always feel badly for them. And, you know, I always say, you know, life is a lot of things, but it isn't always fair, and, and it doesn't make it any easier when it happens. But there are a few things that I think might be helpful. And the first is is to realize that sometimes you choose to do what you do, not because of, but in spite of, that you have to decide if the recognition, appreciation isn't forthcoming, if you're being taken advantage of or, or, or you know, being overworked, that it's time to seriously do one of two things. Either have a conversation with your employer about why this is happening and how you feel, and there's no guarantees. You know, sometimes you do that and nothing changes. And if that is the case, then number two, and of course it's hard to do in this crazy you know, workforce uh, that has still north of 7% unemployment, and that is to look for an employer or a situation where your uh, willingness to be this way is appreciated and is rewarded. But I think the first step is always about opening a, a dialogue with the people who seem to be taking advantage of you. And, and I think sometimes, you know, not always, I think that that's inadvertent. You know, Albert Hubbard many, many years ago said, uh, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And I think when he said it in the early 1900s, that was a, probably a pretty good strategy, but I think it's backfired a little bit because now we've gotten so lazy at giving everything to the busy person that the busy person, as you point out, is, is overwhelmed. So we have to be sensitive if we are an employer or a manager that we don't take advantage of the, the people who you know I call Freds and, and give them too much to do and, and not appreciate and reward them for what they do. Absolutely. And I think we as, as managers need to be open to hearing that message from our employees. Yeah, we don't want to shoot the messenger. I think that's why a lot of people don't like to, uh, to bring up this conversation because they're afraid they'll be viewed as complaining or, uh, you know, griping. But the reality is, is that nobody is a mind reader. Even the best managers sometimes uh, slip up and, and don't recognize the problem until you bring it to their attention. Sure, because we're too busy applying the oil to that squeaky wheel. <laughs> exactly. We're too busy dealing with the knuckleheads that aren't getting the job done that we ignore the people doing the good work. That's right. That's right. Now, later on in the book, you presented a set of questions that absolutely intrigued me. You said that one should ask, will I regret not doing this, instead of always asking, will I regret doing this? Just one word different. And to be honest, as I was reflecting on my own experience uh, as I read Fred 2.0, I came to realize I had to ask that question just recently when I launched the Strategy Driven Advisory Service, which is our new consulting practice. I wanted to ask why you see that slight difference, that one word difference in wording of that question as being so powerful and how it can help us as individuals enhance our fredness. Many years ago, I read some research that I've seen subsequently a number of times about research done uh, of elders, older people, people who are past retirement in the later years of life. And when they asked them, you know, what their regrets were, they didn't talk about things they did they wish they hadn't done. And certainly it came up. But the overwhelming 
sense of regret came from things left undone, things left untried, experiences left without being experienced. And so I, I started to realize that when we look at doing something, we confuse two different kinds of regrets. There's the regret of uh, doing something illegal, immoral, wrong, or hurtful. And, and certainly none of us, I would hope, would consciously choose to do something like that. I mean, other than the criminal element in our society, most of us have a, a moral inner compass that says, the reason I don't want to do this is because it, it might uh, hurt someone who is important to me, it, it, it pushes the ethical boundaries, it may be legal, but it's not right. And the problem is, is that we confuse those kinds of regrets with the regrets of risk. And that is, but it might not work. I might do it and I might fail. It might cost me some money. It might be inconvenient or hard. They're two different things, but I think somehow we, we get them all jumbled up together and we leave things undone that in retrospect, there was very little downside. There was nothing, there was nothing permanent or bad would have happened other than a temporary disappointment. The thing that's interesting though is, is that we learn far more from the things that don't work than the things that do work. And so the people that are really bootstrapping, whether they're organizations or entrepreneurs, whether they're CEOs or, or you know, frontline employees, the people who keep getting ahead are the people that try a lot of things and learn from what doesn't work so their next efforts will be better. So I, I think it's about regret minimization. That's the phrase that psychologists use. But I think it's, it's every bit as much about minimizing the regrets you have for what you wish you had done. And I can think of many uh, in, in the last you know, 54 years of my life, as far back as I can remember, but I can think of very few regrets I have of things I did, unless they were just, you know, stupid or ill-advised or, or turned out to be, you know, uh, things that I'm not proud of because of how they affected someone else. Sure. And I can think of numerous times where I'm thankful that I actually did take that risk, that I don't have the regret of not trying. Yeah. And, you know, once you've taken the risk and if it doesn't work, it, you know, if, even if it didn't work, you now know. You, you know, as the old cliche says, you've got the T-shirt, right? And and you can always extract meaning. You can always find a lesson if you're paying attention from what didn't work. And, and I think we obviously learn more from what didn't work than we do from just what does work. Right. Now, Mark, what really fascinated me about Fred 2.0 was your insights on how to multiply the Fred factor by extending the principles of being extraordinary to teams, organizations, and communities. Now, I see this as taking some real leadership. What does it take to be, and to quote a term from the book, a head Fred? <laughs> well, you know, by the way, sometimes people will uh, mention that some of the language that I use in, in the books is corny, and, you know, I certainly realize that. I mean, I write the books, so I know that that whether or not someone calls it a head Fred or a leader or a manager, that's really not the issue. And the language I use is in fun, but the deeper underlying principle is, is that if you are in charge of others, whether you call yourself a leader or a manager, uh, if you're in charge of others, it's your job to grow them. I mean, to me, the test of leadership or being a head Fred is, is anybody better because of you or who's better because of you? If nobody's any different, if nobody's any better, you know, you've been a decent manager. I mean, you haven't 
set them back, but, but you haven't really led. And so to be ahead, Fred, first and foremost, I believe it's about being committed to being an example, to living these principles yourself rather than expecting others to do something you yourself aren't willing to do. And again, unfortunately, we see that in, in corporate America, you know, a manager who demands that you be nice to customers, but then treats the people that he or she manages poorly. That's a real disconnect. You've got to first and foremost, show your commitment by exemplifying, you know, these principles. Then I think if you're going to be ahead, Fred, you've got to teach the principles because I say that expectation without education equals frustration. Anytime you expect somebody to do something they don't know how to do, you're setting them up to fail and you're setting yourself up for a great deal of frustration. If you want somebody to, to add value, if you want someone to build better relationships, if you want someone, as I talk about in the new book, to elevate the experience, you need to teach them how, whether you use the books or, or DVDs or whatever training you institute, make sure people know how to do what it is you're asking them to do. Then you've got to reward and recognize the behavior. You've got to reward the successes, but even recognize the failures. You know, if you only reward successes, there's sometimes few and far between, especially when the learning curve is steep. So sometimes you have to recognize people for making the effort, taking the chance, taking the risk, even if it didn't work out exactly like you'd hoped. Reward a successful outcome, but at least recognize the attempt, even if it wasn't successful. And then if you, if you do that with the people you lead and you create that expectation, you can create a cycle within a group of people so that you end up with a team of Freds where everybody plays by a little higher standard because they, they have an awareness of, of what they can do, they know how to do it, and, and they're part of a culture where that kind of behavior is recognized and rewarded. Now, as an extension of that, Mark, what activities have some of the, the leaders that you talk about in the book done to translate creating this team of Freds into a reality? There's a great example in the book uh, and a chapter called Fred Jr. where I encourage that we teach young people these principles because, you know, the only thing better than knowing these things at, at the age of 50, learning them at the age of 5 or 10 so that you can benefit from them your entire life. And one of the schools that I talk about in the book, you know, they start each day by doing two things, reading from the book, you know, little excerpts, just reminders, uh, if you will. But then they also have a peer recognition program so that if a student finds another student exemplifying these principles, they simply fill out uh, a little form, it's very easy, very short, that says, uh, I want to recognize so-and-so because they did this. And that peer recognition, being aware of it in others, is a really great teaching device for raising the awareness uh, within the students themselves. In other words, when, to be able to spot another student doing this, it's a great subtle teaching device for me. And I think we can do that in the workplace, too. A lot of organizations that I've worked with over the years have implemented some kind of uh, monthly Fred Award or some kind of a program, uh, Baylor Medical Center in Frisco, Texas, where I recently spoke. When they built their medical center, they used the Fred Factor as some cultural principles that they, they started teaching and rewarding. And every year, they take four 
quarterly winners, and they uh, they present a Fred of the Year award. And it was a great treat for me to be able to help present that award this year to someone who wasn't a, a doctor, wasn't a nurse, wasn't an administrator, but was in facilities management. Just a guy with a terrific attitude, a big heart, who had what a lot of people would think, like Fred the Postman, was a you know pretty ordinary job, but really made it extraordinary by how he did it. So I would say, you know, having some kind of formalized program that gets employees to recognize those contributions in each other, or if you're a teacher, kids, is a great way to help teach these uh, principles and, and make them a reality. Mark, you just touched on something that is really, I guess, my biggest concern when we talk about how we encounter and treat Freds on a day-to-day basis. My concern is that we take them for granted. To leave us with a closing thought, what do you recommend that we do to recognize the Freds that we encounter, whether they're at work or school, when we're out shopping, or what I think is most important, in our own homes among our family and friends? Well, Nathan, I've never met anybody who ever complained about being appreciated too much. You know, I've never, I've never met somebody that says, you know, you know what I hate about working here? You can't do anything without somebody thanking you for it. Slap on the back. You know, it's making me crazy. I've, I've never met that person, but I have met managers that sometimes think it's a badge of honor that they don't give out much praise or recognition that you, you know, you have to work for it. But I think as simplistic as it sounds, and it's not simplistic, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. It's about paying attention. And I mean that in the figurative and literal way. We say pay attention as in, you know, be aware of what's going on around you. But I mean it in the sense of paying attention to the person who does something worthwhile by either thanking them, by writing them a note, by telling a supervisor, one of my favorite things to do when I get great service at a, uh, a restaurant, for instance, is to ask for the, the general manager. And, of course, you know, this always strikes terror into the hearts of the, uh, the staff because most people ask for the manager so they can complain. Certainly an option, but what I do is I'll say, you know, we just had such a great experience here. And, and I just wanted you to know, Alicia was terrific, and I, we just really appreciated her her attitude and, and how helpful she was. And, and boy, that, that's worth so much. And you can do it within your own organization. If, if you think a colleague did something nice, send the colleague an email and say, uh, hey, Nathan, thanks for what you did the, the other night uh, on the podcast uh, interview. But then copy that person's immediate superior or copy the CEO because they're in the spotlight on that so that not only do you appreciate them, but others will appreciate them. I love it when people say, you know, I work with Danielle on your team, and I just want you to know what a great job she I always tell Danielle, you know, I go back and share that praise, and it's a double-edged sword. She feels good about what she did, and I feel good about knowing she's doing a good job. Uh, you know, you mentioned it in the home. So easy. I'm a parent of a 12- and a 15-year-old. So easy. Just almost exclusively on what they did wrong, did badly. I, I've always believed, and my wife and I have tried very hard to practice this, that even when we're giving negative feedback to reaffirm the worth of our kids, instead of saying, you know, that, you know, you're a terrible child, that's the wrong message. The message is, you're a good kid, but what you did was inappropriate. You know, we value you, but what you did 
isn't consistent with your, your value system. And, and we've got to affirm people for their potential as well as positively recognize them for their behavior. And I think sometimes when we criticize the behavior, we cut too deeply and we end up damaging the self-esteem. So that's, that's the jumping off point. And if the listeners of this podcast did nothing else other than for the next week, wrote down the good things they observed people doing at work, at home, and in the community. And then they made it a point to send an email, thank you note, or at least verbal thank you. I think that would go a long way in creating more friends where you work and live. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I want to thank you not only for your time, but for sharing your insights with us on how to be exceptional and to build exceptional teams. I thoroughly enjoyed your book because of the practical, implementable insights you provided that will not only help individuals and their organizations achieve more, but will help them be personally fulfilled and happy. I sincerely hope our listeners will pick up a copy of The Fred Factor and Fred 2.0, but more importantly, that they'll put into practice the principles and actions that you've shared so that they too can achieve extraordinary results. So thank you again for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Mark Sanborn for being with us today and sharing his insights on achieving extraordinary results and building and leading teams to do the same. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review for our podcast on iTunes and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Mark Sanborn and Fred 2.0 at www.marksanborn.com. Until next time, so long.